Two people are walking down the road in Cromwell. One is secular, a person who says, I don't know if there's a God or not. Maybe. I certainly don't believe in an afterlife. When you die, you rot. That's it. There's no heaven, there's no hell. Not only that, but eventually the sun will burn up and everything will turn to dust. Now the other person walking along happens to be a Christian. A person who says, I believe when I die, I'll be with God forever. Not only that, I believe at the end of time, Christ will return and put everything right and all evil will be defeated. Now as it happens, both have found out they'll lose their jobs at the end of the month due to COVID-19. Both are similar ages, with a similar education. Both have a young family and a mortgage. But both have very different future expectations. And these expectations, secular or Christian, have a very real impact on how they will process the difficult news of a job loss during a recession. So today, as we dive back into Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 1, we're going to explore two things. We're going to explore prayer how best we can pray for these two people. The second thing we're going to explore is hope. How the Christian is better placed to process difficult times. So how appropriate that we pause now to pray. Heavenly Father, as we open up your word, we thank you for the treasures and the riches that are contained. We pray that your Holy Spirit will open them up to us, that we may know you better, love Jesus more, and be guided by your spirit. Through Christ we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1. We pick up at verse 17. Just after Paul starts his prayer. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious Father. May give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So that you may know him better. As is common with Paul. There's a lot happening in this one verse. Notice the clear Trinitarian reference. First there's God, and he's referred not only to as a father, but as the glorious father. God is beautiful and splendid and majestic and high above every created being, but he's also a father with a tender heart to his children. Then there's Jesus, who's our Lord, to whom we bow our knee. But not only this, he gladly bows his knee, to his Father, to his God. And finally we have the Holy Spirit, who is the wisdom of God, whose Paul is asking us to receive wisdom and knowledge. And what's the end of this wisdom and knowledge that Paul's praying for us to receive? It's to know our Heavenly Father better. Now this is staggering. You see, it easily slips under our radar. Let me tell you why. Paul could have prayed for the Ephesians to be successful in their ministry. Paul could have prayed that they would be great at witnessing and many would come to the Lord. He could have prayed that the church would make a significant impact on the city through social reform, helping the poor, and standing up for the repressed. He could have prayed for blessings on the Ephesian Christians, on their marriages, on their families, on their health and their finances. But no, his focus is singular and clear. Paul prays, that above all, they will know God better. Now it's not like the other prayers aren't good prayers. It is good to pray for the Ephesian church to be better at witnessing and impacting their city 
that's all wonderful things to pray for, but they're secondary. Primary is to get to know better. In fact, all prayer, its primary focus is to get to know God better. Let me give you an example of how this works. Let's say a family has a child who's been diagnosed with a serious illness. So the mum and the dad pray and pray. And the byproduct of this prayer is that they're spending time in God's presence, getting to know him better. Now after a time the child's healed, and yes, they're most grateful for the medical care and support their child received, but they're even more grateful to God, and they never forget God's healing love. Judy and I know a couple whose five-year-old many years ago went through gruelling chemo and after a time was completely healed. In fact, I see on Facebook the young man's just engaged. Anyway, whenever this difficult time is recalled by the mum, she expresses her gratitude to God, often with a tear in her eye. You see, she has this incredible knowledge of God being faithful to her and to her husband, to the whole family. And she knows God in a way that you and I, unless we've been through something similar, will never know God. You see, the healing for this young lad was secondary. Primary was the mum and dad getting to know God and his great love in a very real way. Another Christian family have a child with a similar illness and they also pray and pray. And the byproduct is they're spending time in God's presence, getting to know him better. But despite the best medical care and most sincere prayer of the family and their church and many others, the child sadly dies. And the mum and the dad, they grieve. And they take their grief, their disappointment, even their anger to God, and God listens, sustains, and over a long period of time, he heals until they are assured that their child is safe in his hands. And no matter how important this this assurance is, primary in this whole process was getting to know God and his sustaining love in a very real way. And I hope you get the point. If we don't understand that prayer's primary purpose is getting to know God, then we've missed the boat. And great is our loss. So now getting back to our two people walking through Cromwell, with both about to be made redundant, both with very similar backgrounds, but they have very different expectations of their future. Well, how do we pray for them? Well, after thanking God for them, which we looked at a few weeks ago, was how Paul started this prayer with thanksgiving. So after thanking God for them, we first pray that they know God better. Then we pray for the specifics. Though their starting point is very different, we pray that they will get to know God. The secular person, we say, Lord, help them to know you. For the Christian that we pray for, we say, Lord, help them to know you more. Well, let's get back to the prayer of Paul, verse 18. See what he prays now, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart may be open. You see, there's a veil that needs to be lifted. Scales from our callous heart that needs to fall away so that we may see ever more clearly the great love and affection of our Heavenly Father. I pray also that the eyes of your heart 
may be enlightened. This is what happened to Paul in a very real way. For as a young man, Paul was an enemy of the church, persecuting all who followed Jesus, accusing and beating and throwing them into jail, until on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute more Christians, but on the road, a voice thundered, light blinded, and Paul met Jesus, whom he was persecuting. After being blinded for three days and having to be led by the hand into the city of Damascus, God sends a believer who prays this prayer. We read this in Acts chapter 9, verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. Not only Paul's physical eyes, but the eyes of his heart were open to see Jesus as Lord. And now, here in Ephesians, Paul is praying this prayer for us, that the eyes of our heart may be opened. Let's read the rest of verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his Glorious inheritance in the saints and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. Now Paul's praying three things here. For hope, for glory and for power. Now we're only time to explore one of these this morning and that's hope. We will leave the prayer for glory and power for another day. So hope. The hope to which he has called you. What is hope? Well hope is both future-based and optimistic. Hope looks to the next day, the next month, the next year, or even the next decade as being better. Now, the opposite to hope is dread. While dread also looks to the future, it does so with fear, anxiety, and apprehension. Not so hope, it's future-looking but optimistic. And our hope is not based on a vague wish for better things to come, but on God's sure and steadfast promises that we find in his word. And his word is full of these wonderful promises. Just one. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. This is one promise of many promises that God has for us these future-looking, optimistic expectations. And in this particular verse, the hope is that God will never abandon us. However, we have a big challenge with the word hope. We use the word differently in everyday use than it's used in the Bible. We tend to use hope for a future with a reasonable degree of uncertainty, even wishful thinking. I'll give you three examples and you can See how much wishful thinking or uncertainty is involved. The first one, I hope I'll get a large pay rise. There's a level of uncertainty with that. What about, I hope the children will settle early to bed tonight. (laughs) It could be quite a bit of uncertainty with that. Third one, I hope the Highlanders will win the Super Rugby competition. Now all of these have a degree of uncertainty, even wishful thinking. However, that's not how the Bible speaks of hope. 
When the Bible speaks of hope, it's referring to a future certainty. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See how biblical hope is associated with being sure and certain. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see how biblical hope is associated with being sure and certain? You see, biblical hope says something like this. My hope is that the sun will rise tomorrow. Now, we would never put it like this because there's certainty involved with the sunrise. However, that's how the Bible would put it. So when we say, my hope is that after I die, I'll be raised from the dead, then that's a certainty. That's biblical hope. The two statements are facts, our sunrise and our resurrection. Now, the implications of this view of hope, optimistic and based on God's promises, are huge. Let me use this illustration to see how practical our hope is. Imagine putting two people in the same room and asking them to do something for a whole day. The conditions are the same for both, and the conditions are terrible. It's hot in that room, it's stuffy, people are yelling at them all day, and in these difficult conditions, both have the same task to do. But before they start, you whisper into the ear of one, at the end of the day, we are going to pay you $5. Then going to the other person, you whisper in their ear, at the end of the day, we're going to pay you $100,000. I can guarantee you that these two people doing the very same task for the same length of time under harsh conditions will process their circumstances very differently. One will be saying, I don't need this. Forget about it. How do I get out of here? While the other will have a dopey grin on his face, not bothered much at all about how difficult the day is. Ah, yes, it's hot in here. It's stuffy and they're yelling, but it doesn't matter. Why the difference? Why are they processing their same realities in very different ways? Well, it's because of their future hope. So if we go back to the two people who were walking through town, who had just found out that they had lost their job in a recession, the secular person will process his bad news in a similar way to the person who's just getting $5. Nothing to look forward to in the future. Whereas the Christian has the potential to process their bad news in a similar way to the person promised $100,000. Everything to look forward to. And the problem here is, and this is why Paul is praying that the Ephesians will grow in hope, is that we don't have this strong hope. Most of us bumble along with a vague idea of a hope in God, and so we're ill-equipped to process tough times in a way that draws us closer to God. But imagine how well you can work through any difficult situation if we have confidence in God to make our future better, in the same way that that man stuck in that room under difficult circumstances knew that he was going to have $100,000 at the end of the day. And this is how we are to live our lives as Christians in the here and now, with our eyes fixed firmly on the future we have in Christ. And what is our future hope? Well, as we're looking at the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms that we've been blessed with, as we were looking over those over the last few weeks, remember the first one is being adopted as a children. Will we experience that in part? 
But there will time will come when we will, as daughters and sons, enter the very presence of our Heavenly Father, and He will welcome us with His open arms. One of the other spiritual blessings from the heavenly realms was redemption, freedom from sin and death. Though the grip, the iron grip of sin and death in our hearts has been broken, we still deal with the residue. We deal with the sin and the fallenness of the world on the outside and we also deal with the residue of sin that's in the inside. But one day, death will be defeated and every tear will be wiped away from every eye and sin will be completely banished. And the third blessing from the heavenly realms was the seal, the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the deposit guaranteeing of all these wonderful things to come. It's these sure and steadfast hopes that help us to face today's trials and tribulations in confidence. No wonder Paul prays for the eyes of our heart to be opened to know the hope to which we are called. So now let's pull all this together. All of us know folk who have been impacted by COVID-19. Some of us have already, and if the economic forecasts are accurate, there's more pain to come. So how, as Christians, can we respond? I mean, what good is our faith that doesn't help us in a very real way in times such as these? So firstly, this morning we looked at an effective way to pray for others and ourselves when facing tough times. Whether they're church folk or not, after thanking God for them, our next focus is for them to know God better. Then we start praying for the specifics. Our youngest son finishes his internship next week, and we're very proud of him. And this was supposed to lead into full-time employment with the company. However, the media-based company, with mainly business clients, has already laid off contractors. And for a while there, they weren't even sure whether Ryan could finish his internship. But in answer to prayer, they came back and confirmed he could work to the end of June. And then a few weeks later, they came back and even offered him a two-month contract. And so we keep praying. But primary in all this is that God will use these circumstances so our son will know God better. Secondly, we see Paul praying for us to increase in hope, not vague, wishful thinking, fingers crossed, she'll be right sort of Kiwi hope but a sure and certain expectation that God will come through with his promises. And again, this is very practical for when we face difficult times. For if we find ourselves badly impacted by COVID-19 or any other tough time, then our hope in God is the framework, it's the lens with which we work through what's happening, confident that God is faithful and true and will never abandon us. Never ever underestimate the power of hope and how much more we need. For Isaiah 40 verse 31 Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is my prayer for our church. This is my prayer for each one of us that we may know more the hope to which we were called. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the wonders that we have found here today in your word, we pray that you will open the eyes of our heart, that the veil may be lifted and the scales fall away so that we may know you better, that we may see your great love for us. 
And may we grow in hope, hope and confidence that you will always come through for us. Help us to pray for others, Lord, to bless them so that they may too grow a knowledge of you and a sure and steadfast hope. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.